Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. Whenever we pray the word back to him, whenever we quote the word back to him, it's his own word and we're quoting it back to him and guess what? He knows that we're beginning to walk in truth. Why? Because his word is truth. We hope you find this message encouraging. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to First John chapter 1. If not, they got to have it on the screen for you. Uh, but the title of my message is Our Walk. One of the things that I, um, as a pastor, I always field a lot of questions, okay? People are always asking questions about stuff. And you can kind of sum, it, sum up a large portion of those questions in this. That people ask this question, as a believer, with me having devoted my life to Jesus Christ, I have Jesus as my Savior, how should I handle this situation in my life? This has come up, and, and I just want to know how that, how that should affect my response to what's going on at work, at home, finances, you name it. It all comes down to that question, well, how am I supposed to react to this? What am I supposed to do about this in light of me being a believer in Christ? And all that comes down to is an application of a, a tying together of our belief in Christ and what the real world's about. I can, I can get up here and preach the best sermon that's, that's ever come down the pike. It can be theologically, philosophically, ethically, uh, doctrinally, everything perfect about it. And if it does not connect with you and you can find no way to tie it to your everyday life, it means zero. Amen? Of all the people in this day and time, when they are asked, why do you no longer attend church or why do you not attend church? 65% of those polled with that, that question answer it I don't attend church anymore or I don't attend church, period, because I don't find it relevant. And not being relevant means that there's no tie-in between how I live Monday through Saturday versus what I do on Sunday morning. If we're not letting our Christianity, our relationship with Christ, affect every aspect of our lives, then we're missing the whole point. Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm living. Yet not me, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. In other words, Paul's saying in Galatians there, he says, everything about me has changed. I'm not who I was. I'm different. I'm no longer me. But Christ lives in me. I died with him, but yet I'm risen from the dead just like he was. And so I'm walking and I'm talking, but it's not me anymore. It's Christ that lives in me. It ought to affect every aspect of our lives. It ought to change how we do things. It ought to, it ought to be the filter through which we look at our world. It ought to be the filter through which we react to the things around us. And how do we do that? That's the question. How do we tie our belief system in with everyday life? How do I allow the, the, the things that I believe to affect the life that I'm living now? That's, that, that, that is all about application. For those of you, you've known me for eight years now, you know that 
Most of my sermons are big on application. Maybe not so much on text and, and all that stuff, but the context of, of what we're looking at, how it should affect how we think, how should it affect how we act, how should it affect how we live. I'm huge on application. Why? Because it ought to make a difference. And if I get up here and preach that theologically, philosophically, ethically, doctrinal, perfect sermon, and there's no tie-in, then we have totally missed it. Because it ought, to, it, ought to, it ought to be something that changes us. Everything ought to be about application and how we apply it to our lives. And so, basically, it's come down to this. How do we walk the walk and not just talk the talk? This reason the title of my message is Our Walk. And in 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9, this is what John writes. And he says, but if we walk in the light, as he, talking about Jesus, is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all our sins. So if we are trying, see, here's the thing, we're all striving. We're all on the road to wanting to be a better us, and that's what Christ wants in us. We're never expected to be perfect. I think that's sometimes where people miss it. Uh, sometimes people say, well, I just can't do that. I can't be perfect. There is nobody except Jesus that ever lived on this planet that was perfect or ever will be perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And sometimes people will portray that. But the thing that we have to do is realize that we are nothing more than forgiven. Amen? And so that starts us off with number one. We've got to walk in the newness of life. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says that we ought to live our lives that way, that we ought to, in, in, in Romans chapter 6 there, he's talking about baptism, that we are entering into, and since we had baptism last week, this is very appropriate, and again, I'm voting for a baptism every week. If you were here last week and saw the crowd we had, let's do baptism every week. We'll talk about that. But here's the thing. Paul says that whenever we basically enter into that life that we ought to walk in the newness of life. Uh, in in, uh, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this about it. He said, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I think sometimes we miss the, miss the whole thing and, and sometimes we feel lesser than because we make a commitment to Christ. We are baptized and, and we do arise just like he did out of that water, representing the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the next morning when we wake up, we think we ought to feel different. I ought not be tempted anymore. I ought not sin anymore. I, I, have, I, have, I, should have, I should be able to say, I have arrived. I've got this thing down pat. As I shared with you last week, the one thing that the one reason I put off being baptized after I made a commitment to Christ for almost two years, because I kept thinking I can't get baptized because that's representing washing away all my sins. So I can't be baptized until I quit sinning. And it took me two years to realize, hey, there's never a day gonna come when I don't miss it somehow. Again, that word for sin in the New Testament, harmatia, if I'm saying it correctly in the original language, means missing the mark. It was a term that's tied to into archery. Whenever those archers would, would uh, shoot their longbows, and you know they had to practice that a lot, and they had to get good at it, 
And uh, I've shared this with you before. There are longbow uh, shootings that were recorded at 600 yards. Six, that's 600 yards. Ronnie, how many deer you killed at 600 yards? <laughs> we don't make shots like that, but they could do it with a recurve bow, back in, a long bow. Back in those days, there's one recorded shooting. It was a, a, a whale's prince, and he was out in the battle. Used to, the leaders went out into battle, and uh, it shot through his leg. An arrow from a long bow shot through his leg and killed his horse. Didn't kill him, but wounded him severely. And it's 600 yards. That's how far apart the battle lines were. And some, some archer drew back and shot his bow and, and killed, it, or killed the horse and shot that dude right in the leg. And you think about 600 yards, that's six football fields. That's a long way. So what they would have to do is they would put people down the line when they were practicing, they'd put them in a little dugout. And I don't know how far they'd put the targets down there, 100 yards or so maybe. And they would not be able to see where the arrow landed. They could see the target, but they couldn't see where it So the guy would holler out whether they hit the target or not. And that was the word that they used, that harmatia, you missed the mark is the way we'd say it in southeast Texas. You missed it, okay? So whenever we sometimes in this life, we will take aim at whatever we're trying to do, and we miss the mark. Anybody ever miss the mark? Okay, the rest of you that didn't raise your hand, you just missed it. Okay, so go ahead and raise it. You shouldn't be lying in church. <laughs> we all miss the mark. Sometimes we think of sin as something huge, something just major. Sometimes it's the little things. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, it says, Be careful of the little foxes. See, if it had been, I've said this as long as I've been preaching. Peter, who said, Lord, I'll go with you even unto death. The rest of these slackers, they might give up on you. But I'm going to be with you all the way. And Jesus said, oh, Peter, 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 Peter. Before the rooster crows, you're going to get me up three times. Oh, no, 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 no. He's over there warming himself by the fire. And this little bitty girl comes up. I have said this as long as I've been preaching. If it had been a big burly guy, six foot two, weighed 275 pounds. Oh, wait, that's me. 300 pounds and six four. Okay. <laughs> there you go. So if it had been a big burly guy and he walked up there and poked Peter in the chest and said, you sucker. You were with Jesus, weren't you? It would have been on like Donkey Kong. Guarantee you, that's just how Peter was. I mean, he had just got, that same night, he had just got through chopping off the ear of the guy that was coming to arrest Jesus. Now, he wasn't a swordsman, he was a fisherman. Or he'd have killed him. I think he was aiming to kill him. He wasn't aiming for that ear. And so I think if somebody had to come up, poked him in the chest and said, Hey, man, you were with Jesus, weren't you? It had been on. But it came in an unexpected way. Little bitty girl. You were with Jesus, weren't you? Well, I can't beat her up. Now what am I going to do? No, no, I I'm not with him. And just to cinch it, he cussed a little bit. 
The way we expect sin is going to come into our lives is not the way it's going to come in. And so sometimes we miss the mark. And sometimes we let missing the mark get us completely off track. Because we think, I just can't do this anymore. I can't be perfect. And you are correct. And the, the, the quicker we come to that realization, the better off we are going to be about our walk with Christ. We are so totally dependent. That song that Zach was singing, Zach didn't know exactly what my message was going to be this morning. I'm not enough. Unless he comes, would you meet me here again? If Jesus is not involved in it, it's going to come to nothing. It's not going to accomplish what we set out for it to accomplish. And the, thing, the quicker we realize how totally dependent we are on him and that we can't do anything without him. I am not good enough. I am not strong enough. I am not able enough. I am not smart enough to accomplish this on my own. It's going to come to nothing unless he comes. And sometimes uh, we, we miss that whole idea. And whenever we get saved, whenever we make a commitment to Christ, then all of a sudden we, we think we ought to feel different. We ought to act different. We ought to be different. And we're on the track to being different. We're on the track to being a better us. But realize it's not going to happen without him. It's not about our effort. It's not about what we do. It's just us relying on him and letting him be a part of us. And so... The thing that we got to do is realize that whenever we become a believer in Christ, we're still going to be us. We're going to still think some of those same, same thoughts that we thought before. We're going to still act in some of the ways that we acted before. But we can give him more and more and more of us to where we can get to that point. Like Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And it's not that he's going to make us all in. It's not God running a little production line and stamping us all into this perfect little Christian, these little Christian robots that are going around. You're still going to be you. I'm still me. Some of my attitudes are different. Some of, some of the way that I think has changed over the years, and that's the way it ought to be. But we're still us. As I said in a sermon a few, few weeks ago, I think we're all sitting around waiting for us to wake up one morning and pull back our pajamas and, and see those blue tights with the big red C on it for super Christian. And it's not going to happen. We're just all regular Christians. You know it? And, and we're going to have to get used to the idea that we are so dependent on him and we're going to have to quit beating ourselves up when we miss the mark. We spend so much time worried about what we just did. And see, the devil gets involved in that. And he, he will come up and remind us of stuff that we did. While I was putting this sermon together, I thought about some stuff. Little bitty stuff. You would think the devil would come in and remind me of some big sin that I did all those years ago. But sometimes he comes in and reminds me of just this little bitty stuff that's not really even sin when I miss the mark. One of the things that, that, boy, I'm just laying it all out here right now. There's this thing that the devil uses against me so often. And whenever I tell you, you're going to say, that is silly. Yes, it is, but he reminds me of it and it embarrasses me. I was preaching a funeral, somebody I knew very, very well. And his name was Jimmy. And I made the assumption, like you often would, that his... Real name, his birth certificate name was James. 
And all I did at the beginning of the funeral, said, we're here on behalf of James today. To, to, and I always called him Jimmy. Everybody else always called him Jimmy. I just made the assumption his name was James. It'd be like most people assume that Angie's name is Angela on her birth certificate. It's Angie. Same way with Jimmy, only I didn't know that. So some well-meaning family member came up and said, you know, his name's not James. Well, I knew everybody always called him Jimmy. Gosh, I hate that. I'm sorry. That embarrasses me to no end to this day, and it's been years. I think about that, and it embarrasses me. Just little bitty stuff like that. That wasn't a sin, but I missed the mark. And I don't know what it is that he uses against you, but there's something. I'll guarantee you every one of us has something that the devil will come up and whisper in your ear, say, hey, you remember the time you did that? Yeah, I do. And what does it do? It takes away our confidence to serve God. It makes us think uh, we're so concentrated on that that we can't do anything else. I've said this for a long time. Whenever the devil comes in and, and tries to make you think you're not saved, or I, I've, I've shared with you my testimony. I've wrestled with that for years. I had made a commitment to Christ. I gave my heart and life to him. And, and the devil would come in, and, and, and it seemed like he talked to me in my little truck when I was on the way home. I was working afternoon shift. I'd go in at 3 and get off at 11.30. So between 11.30 and midnight, I was driving home. And, of course, it was quiet and dark road, and so I guess I had time to think, and he had time to, to interject into my thoughts. You know, you didn't do that, right? You know, you didn't, you didn't pray the right prayer. You didn't say it all right, or you did that for the wrong reason. You did that because your wife wanted you to go to that passion play, and you just wanted to get her off your back. And, all, and, and the next thing I knew, I would... Any of you ever been in sales? A few of you. What's your, what's your primary goal? Get them to saying yes. Get them to nodding their head, and you're halfway home on the sale. Right, Bobby? Is this a car you'd like? Oh, yeah. Has it got all the, is this the color you'd like? Well, yeah, it is. How, how about all those, how about air conditioning and power steering and power windows and all that stuff? Yeah. And you're halfway home to that sale. And so I would get to agreeing with the devil. Just like one of them little dogs they used to put up in the back windows of those cars, you know. I was nodding, agreeing with him. And you know what it did? It took away my confidence and my power to serve God. Because I was so concentrated on me and that I had missed it and that I hadn't done it right and that I wasn't doing it right and that I needed to back up and do it all again. And, and as I've shared with you, I bet I, I, I got saved once in church and I bet I got saved 150 times in that little red Ford pickup truck. Until I came to the realization, this is not the way this is supposed to be. And I told the devil one night, I'm sure if somebody had had my truck bugged, they'd have thought I was nuts, but I was talking to him out loud. And I said, listen, you have convinced me too many times that I hadn't made a commitment to Christ. I'm going to pray this one more time. I'm drawing a line in the sand, and when I step over it, I ain't coming back no more. I might do something that I have to come back to my Heavenly Father and ask for forgiveness about, but I am saved and I know that I am. And it doesn't matter how I prayed it. God, God, all he hears is the intent of the heart, and he knows my heart. And if I didn't do it right, I want to do it right. If I, if I did it for the wrong reasons, I'm doing it for the right reasons now. And I prayed that prayer one more time, and guess what? I never went back. 
And, and once we get past that, once we get the victory over that in our lives and we realize that we're saved, that we're a child of God, then guess what? All of a sudden, we are walking in that newness of life. I, I felt as good that night getting out of that little Ford pickup truck as I did that night that I knelt in a church and prayed that prayer. Why? Because I knew I was saved. I knew that I was a child of God. And... and the thing that we've got to do is realize that we, we've got to quit condemning ourselves. I shared with you a few weeks ago, preach the, preach the you know, what are we supposed to do? And, and Old Testament, New Testament agree and say the same thing, that we are supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. I wouldn't be as hard on my neighbor as I am on me sometimes. I am my own worst critic. And with the devil's help, I get pretty down on Philip sometimes. Sometimes I, all I do is I want to nitpick just a little bitty stuff, just like missing that name, that, that still to this day, and it's been years, the devil can, he can just pick at that little spot. And what we've got to do is realize we've got to love ourselves. We've got to be as good to us as we would to anybody else and realize that if we have... Taking it to the Lord. Whatever it is, it might be something huge. It might be something little bitty. But if we have taken it to the Lord and given it to him, then guess what? It belongs to him and it doesn't belong to us anymore. In Romans chapter 8, this is what he says. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Amen? So if I'm condemning me, I'm going against the word. So if I take it to the Lord, I've got to quit condemning me. I've got to quit listening to the condemnation of the devil. And I, I certainly, certainly, certainly not going to rub anybody else's face in it. We all know people that have missed the mark big time. Do you walk up and say something to them every time you see them? Well, oh boy, you blew that one, didn't you? I'll guarantee you if they were your friend, they wouldn't be after that. Amen? Then why do we do it to ourselves? We look in the mirror sometimes and you just think, boy, you blew that one. And God's saying, I don't even know what you're talking about because it's under the blood. It's forgotten. Gone. Your sins are as far as the east is from the west. Under the blood. Thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Never to be remembered again is what that word tells us. So the thing that we've got to do is realize if we are saved, if we are believers in Christ, then we are walking in the newness of life. Somebody ought to be saying amen to that one. Amen. Second thing, we need to walk in the truth. John said this in 3 John, John 3, uh, verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Again, we're talking about our walk. And so... If we are walking in the truth, it's bringing the, the Apostle John there is referring to himself. It brings him pleasure to hear that the people that are discipled under him are walking in the truth. But you know what it does to God? It pleases him. It thrills his heart to know that we're walking in the truth. I have shared this illustration a few times through the years. 
But whenever my kids were little, one of the first things that I would always tell them, just out of a safety perspective, is when we were walking, getting ready to cross the street or something, I'd have them by the hand, and I would walk up to the corner or wherever we were going to cross the street, and I'd say, the first thing you always do before you cross the street is look both ways. Make sure there's not a car coming that is going to run you over. Now, Hannah listened pretty good. Jesse didn't. He got ran over on his bicycle one time because he ran out in the street on it. Thank goodness no major damage. But the thing that that thrilled me was both of them at, at separate times. Whenever I'd get to the corner, I'd be holding their hand. And then, Daddy, the first thing we do when we get to the corner and before we cross the street is we look both ways. Make sure a car's not coming. Why, yes, indeed. Pop them suspenders. I've done my job as a dad. I have succeeded. And you know what? Whenever we say something back to God, out of his word, he's, if he's wearing suspenders, and I have no idea if he is, but he's popping them. Whenever we go to him and say, God, I, I blew it. I missed the mark. But I know that your word says if I'll confess it that you are faithful and just to forgive it and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. God's up there on his throne popping him suspenders. That's right. Anytime we talk the word back to him, it's just like uh, uh, our little children, whenever they get what we're saying, whenever whenever we pray the word back to him, whenever we quote the word back to him, it's his own word, and we're quoting it back to him, and guess what? He knows that we're beginning to walk in truth. Why? Because his word is truth. That's what it says in, in, uh, in John chapter 14. Jesus said that he is the truth. Uh, Pilate asked, uh, asked Jesus the question, what is truth? And Jesus said that he was truth. In John seventeen seventeen, he's praying to the Father and he says, Lord, sanctify them through thy truth and thy word is truth. And then in Romans chapter 4, it talks about that uh, whenever we're walking in the truth and we begin to speak what God's speaking, that is very pleasing to him. He said that Abraham, it was counted unto him as righteousness, and that he began to call those things that were not as though they were. And that's, that's what faith is. It was counted unto him as righteousness because he was walking in God's truth. We may not understand it all, and I guarantee you there'll be things that we won't understand until we get to be with him. But the thing that we've got to do is realize everything that he speaks to us right here is truth. And if we're walking in that and we're living by it and we're applying it to our lives, then we begin to walk in that truth. And we have to realize that truth can change facts. Okay, this is where you got to be very careful and, and keep the message of faith headed in the right direction. He says that Abraham was calling those things that were not as though they were. In other words, specifically toward Abraham, it was the fact that God had made him the promise that he and Sarah were going to have children. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah, not too far behind him. So in the, in the facts of things... You would say the facts are y'all are too old to have kids. But the truth is what God was speaking. And he said, about this time next year, you're going to be having a kid. And they couldn't understand it. They couldn't, you know, it just tilt (laughs) that at that age they'd have kids. But here's the thing. We have to apply that to our lives in that, just like I've said before, it's not denying the facts. It's speaking the truth. Okay, 
If I fall down here this morning, fall off these steps, and break my arm, my arm is broke. I can deny that it's broke, but guess what? The facts are, it's broke. But here's the truth. The truth is that by his stripes, I have been healed. Guess what? Whether it's by miraculous, and I think God still works in the miraculous, or it is in the natural way that he made us, that arm can heal. If I get it set, fact is, this arm's been broke once already, and it healed. So the thing that we've got to do is realize the fact is there may be something going on with us, but the truth is what God says supersedes everything. Amen? It's like I was talking about a couple of weeks ago. There are laws in this world, and they operate in a certain way. If I, since I'm talking about stepping off these steps, if I just put my foot out there and step off here, what's going to happen? Brother Phillip's going to go up and bounce off the ceiling. Just making sure nobody was buying that. Brother Phillip's going to fall on the floor and go boom. Okay? Why? The law of gravity. But if I strap me on some wings and can run fast enough, and those wings are made just right, guess what Brother Phillip's going to do? He's going to fly. <laughs> well, okay, if I jump in an airplane and those wings are made just right and it goes fast enough, what's going to happen? We've all pretty much, I'd say all of us have done that. We get in this big contraption called an airplane that looks like it couldn't fly for its life and, and all of a sudden we're in the air. Why? Because there's another law called the law of aerodynamics. And those wings are made in such a way that the pressure underneath that wing is lower, and all of a sudden it creates lift. And it supersedes the law of gravity. Same way in the spiritual realm, there are laws. And the first law is the law of sin and death. And that is that we're all sinners. When Adam and Eve sinned, it entered all of mankind into sin. And Isaiah talks about that humankind is infected with sin. We've all been injected with this virus called sin. And guess what? It's going to cause us all to die. But if I give my heart and life over to Jesus, then I have what is referred to as the law of life in the spirit. And it supersedes, just like the law of aerodynamics supersedes the law of gravity, then the law of life in the spirit supersedes the law of sin and death. And therefore, I have eternal life. Amen? So what we've got to do is understand God's truth goes way deeper than any of us can wrap our brains around it. So we've got to trust him. He's leading us in the right direction. He's telling us the right things. It's not denying facts. It's knowing what the truth is. And that through him and by him and with him, we can do all things. Why? Because he's going to strengthen us.